situation. He took a pinch in the back. He got beamed for crying out loud. We used heart attack. Managers on a major league baseball team don't make decisions. Credibility in this situation is worse than losing your job. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? The castration of the major league baseball managers, we know it. Ask me about my winner. So if I was going to say that I wasn't excited or at least had some positive feelings of watching the media melt down over Shohei Otani, I'd be lying to you. You know, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I, I look at the media and its role and I understand that it's got a job to do. But in all reality, players, moves, information is going to get out to people in some way, shape, or form. That it, it, news is going to exist. Shohei Otani signs with a team and that's going to become a fact at some point. Who cares who broke it? Who cares who was the first to know? This is the obsession that we're in right now, and you're watching the modern-day Major League Baseball writer melt down over Shohei Otani. Because you know what? He is not making it clear what his interests are. He's not making it clear what team he's interested in signing with or ultimately will end up with. I'm going to throw a crazy one out there. If Shohei Otani wants to get the ultimate victory, wants to be able to put his hands up and say, hey, I beat Major League Baseball, he could go re-sign in Japan. Because you know what? At, at this point, I don't think there's anybody out there, no matter what baseball writer thinks that they developed the best relationship with him or his agent or uh, the Angels when he was there or his translator. Nobody knows what Shohei Otani wants to do. And the fact that the baseball writers are reporting stuff that isn't true, that's pissing off general managers of other teams, that they're forcing managers of Major League Baseball teams to talk when they're what were apparently sworn to secrecy. And then you got the other one with the writers saying, hey, he's on a plane, track this plane. It's just, I'm enjoying the fact that baseball writers are basically having a complete meltdown right now. So a couple things I wanted to bring up. Uh, the 2014 MLB draft, uh, the first player to be selected in that draft was Brady Aiken. Brady Aiken is not going to play in the major leagues. One of only um, a handful, I think we're talking about maybe three players, Steve Chilcott, Brian Taylor are the other ones that I could think of. And then you have to go past you know, a certain uh, certain level of players that just haven't had a chance yet. But Brady Aiken's going to be known as one of the number one overall picks to never play in the major leagues. But if you're a Philadelphia Philly fan, you got to love that draft. They selected Aaron Nola with the seventh overall pick in that draft. And Nola, of course, just signed a contract extension, is likely to spend the majority, if not his entire career, with the Philadelphia Phillies. But the Phillies have also acquired three other players selected in the top 13 in that draft. Kyle Schwarber, number four, was selected by the Cubs. Jeff Hoffman was selected number nine by the Toronto Blue Jays. And Trey Turner was selected number 13 by the San Diego Padres. And what I find fascinating, too, is, you know, listen, you, you find information. People throw information out there. It's not like I just created it. But the 2020 NBA draft. You got 
Tyrese Halberton, who is becoming a star right before our eyes at the National Basketball Association, was taken number 12 overall by the Sacramento Kings, traded in the DeMontis Sabonis trade with the, the Indiana Pacers, and that's obviously where he is now. But Obi Toppin was selected number 8 overall by the New York Knicks. Jalen Smith was selected number 10 overall by the Phoenix Suns. And Aaron Neesmith was selected number 14 overall by the Boston Celtics. What do all those players have in common? They all play for the 2023-2024 Indiana Pacers. As I segue into a couple opinions about the in-season tournament and how it applies to the National Basketball Association. For some reason, LeBron James is gung-ho. For some reason, he wants this. And I think it's a legacy type of thing, and I've heard a couple people say that, so it's not... You know, it's not my own thoughts there. It's more of me just agreeing with some of the things that I've said. Now, listen, you have a show. You know, you, you take throw so many unique takes in there. Uh, you know, the tendency at times is you're going to agree with some other people that say similar things to what you're thinking. So I think LeBron James is looking at this as uh, another notch on his belt, if we're going to quote Christopher Walken from Wedding Crashers. You know, the you know he, he wants to add this to his legacy. Now, should the Los Angeles Lakers put a banner up, say, in-season tournament champions? Not yet. I wouldn't do it now. I would watch how the in-season tournament ends up working out. And if it becomes a staple of the National Basketball Association over the course of the next 20 years, then they may be inclined to put these things up. Maybe one banner for every in-season tournament that a given team wins. Like I said, you know, if we could jump into DeLorean, crank it up to 88 miles an hour, and go 20 years ahead of time, is the NBA in-season tournament a real thing? Is it a real part of the NBA season? Are teams really going out of their way to want to compete and win in this tournament? First year, yeah. You know what? It's fun. And we've heard for years how we want to improve the regular season when it comes really to any sport. I think the National Football League really is the only sport that its regular season is fine the way it is. Other sports, yeah, you know, baseball, 162 games. You got the All-Star game in the middle. You know, how much excitement is there going to be in Major League Baseball, let's say for a, a first week of June type of game between the, the Rockies and the San Diego Padres. So the NBA did a good thing by putting this in-season tournament in there. I think you could say at least through year one is a success. And obviously you got the game tonight, the Indiana Pacers and the Los Angeles Lakers, obviously one of the most prestigious franchises in the history of the sport. And then you got the upcoming Indiana Pacers who I really think are making their mark in the NBA this year, they're going to be a threat in the Eastern Conference. It's going to be interesting to see the way that works out. As we jump into today's segment of saving sports history, because for those of you that don't know, the past ball show is here to save sports history. Today is the ninth day of December, and the reason I bring this up is because everything that I discuss right now is going to have happened on the ninth day of December in the world of sports history. So we go back to the year of 1931, not as early as we have in other uh, 
episodes at a PBS. But 1931, Major League Baseball makes the decision to cut the roster size from 25 players to 23 players. Now, that's not that significant at the time. You know, as time goes by, you know, you see where baseball is right now. I think it's, what, 20, 26 players uh, on a given roster, and it moves up to 28 for the month of September. But that same day, the National League continues to prohibit players from wearing uniform numbers. And the reason I bring this up is because it's 1931. It's not like it's 1911. 1931, the National League still saying no uniform numbers for its players. 1934, the New York football giants defeat the Chicago Bears 30-13 in the National Football League Championship game, the NFL Championship. So the Giants win their second NFL championship en route to their eight championships that they've won. Four NFLs, four Super Bowls. If you've heard me before, to distinguish the difference between an NFL championship and an NFC championship, you understand that the NFC champion gets to the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl era started in 1967. So every NFL championship prior to 1967, the first Super Bowl is considered a championship and on the level of that of a Super Bowl. So the Giants, eight-time champions, 1927, 1934, 1938, 1956. And of course, we know in the Super Bowl era of 1986, 1990, 2007, and 2011. 1935, the significant because the Heisman Trophy is going to be awarded today. We'll see who ends up getting it. You know, you look at, at, so, at a couple of the guys that are out there, whether it's Bo Nix, whether it's uh, Michael Penix. It's going to be interesting to see who ends up winning it. Marvin Harrison, I think that would be, it, it, it would be, a, I, I would like to see Harrison get it. We'll see what ends up happening. And of course, Jalen Daniels from LSU is also in the mix. But 1935, the first Heisman Trophy is awarded. And it's given to Jay Barwanger, a halfback, from Chicago. Three years later, 1938. I don't usually talk about NFL drafts, but this one stands out to me because it's just reminds me of a segment that I just did. Passball show all-time top tens. And the Chicago Cardinals took Kai Aldrich, a halfback, with the first overall pick. That's not significant. What's significant is the Chicago Bears, the number two, took the player that I rank as the 10th greatest quarterback in the history of the National Football League, and that's Sid Luckman. If you're not sure, look him up, because this was one of the greatest to ever play, basically defined what is now the T-formation quarterback position as the game plays right now. 1949, the National Football League merges with the All-American Football Conference. What makes this significant is you had a dominant team in the AAFC for the four years that this was an independent league, a team called the Cleveland Browns, an owner and coach by the name of Paul Brown. The Browns were named after Paul Brown, not the color brown, not uh, a dog, 
nothing other than the fact that Paul Brown is the one of the few people in the history of sports to have a team named after him. The Browns, four-time AAFC champions, end up being included now in the National Football League with the San Francisco 49ers and the Baltimore Colts. Two other teams, L.A., and New York end up merging with the current teams that exist in the National Football League. What stands out and what I continue to find amazing, and this is why the the that's what the Cleveland Browns are considered one of the greatest and dominant teams in football history, certainly going back to that time. The NFL has its first championship game after it merges with the AFC. Who wins the NFL championship in 1950? You guessed it, the Cleveland Browns. 1965, one of the worst trades in baseball history, and perhaps if you're a fan of the Baltimore Orioles, one of the best trades in the history of baseball. Frank Robinson ends up being dealt from the Cincinnati Reds to the Baltimore Orioles in exchange for Milt Pappas and some unknowns. Frank Robinson, who was told that he was an old 30, ends up having the best years of his career with the Baltimore Orioles, helps them win a couple World Series championships, including the very next season in 1966. One of the greatest players that ever played for the Baltimore Orioles, and I got him in a top 15 amongst the top offensive position players to ever play in Major League Baseball history. 1995, I bring this up, Heisman Trophy. Yeah, I'm not going to go over every Heisman Trophy winner that happened on this day, but Eddie George out of Ohio State wins the Heisman Trophy on this day in 1995. You know, I'm a big Eddie George fan. Great career with the Tennessee Titans, a couple years with the Dallas Cowboys after, but as a running back for Ohio State was dominant, won the Heisman Trophy on this day. And so did Baker Mayfield. And, you know, I got a little soft spot for Baker Mayfield. I think he's got um, a lot left to offer. As a quarterback in the National Football League, I think we haven't seen the best of him. And I'll continue to say that, and I will pull sound from previous shows when this ends up showing. Is he going to be a Tom Brady? Is he going to be a Peyton Manning? Is he going to be a Dan Marino, an all-time great? No, but I think he's going to withstand the test of time. We'll see if it happens with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or a different organization, but Baker Mayfield winning the Heisman Trophy on this day in 2017. In 1853, we uh, had witnessed the birth of one of the greats to ever throw a baseball in the history of Major League Baseball, and his name was Charlie Old Haas Radborn, born on this day in 1853, had 60 wins in MLB season, also won 309 games over the course of just 10 MLB seasons. So yeah, you guessed that's an average of 30 wins a season. Deacon Jones, Hall of Fame defensive end with the Rams and the Chargers, born on this day in 1938. We just lost Dick Butkus within this past month. He was born on this day, uh, the ninth day of December in 1942. And Kurt Angle, uh, dominant wrestler, known predominantly during the Attitude Era in the WWE, was born on this day in 1968, and we lost one of the greats to ever contribute to Major League Baseball, Rube Foster, on this day in 1930. Foster's cause of death is actually listed as insanity. And if you probably look at some of the things that he dealt with 
over the course of his baseball career in the Negro Leagues, his career as an owner, his career as an executive. Yeah, it's, it's pretty messed up that somebody that had a mind that could have contributed so much more to baseball if it wasn't for the Cap Ansons and the Kennesaw Mountain Landises and the Jim Crows of the world, you'll wonder if Rube Foster would be thought of in the light of a guy that I'm also going to talk about that passed away on this day in 1965, and that's Branch Rickey. Branch Rickey is considered the uh, godfather of the modern-day farm system. He's done so much to contribute to Major League Baseball, certainly is given credit for signing Jackie Robinson and breaking the color barrier in Major League Baseball. Uh, he passed away, like I said, on this day in 1965. But I put those two guys kind of together because I think they were both equally intelligent and I think both had innovative enough minds that made the game so much better than it was before they came around. 1998, light heavyweight champion Archie Moore, probably one of the better light heavyweight champions to ever exist. Uh, from 1952 to 1958, he passed away in 1998. We also lost Al Unser Sr., uh, four-time Indy 500 champion, 1970, 71, 78 and 87 in 2021 and also Demarius Thomas wide receiver most notably with the Denver Broncos Super Bowl champion in 2015 and if you remember as a fantasy football player at that time was one of the more dominant wide receivers in the history of fantasy football he passed away just two years ago at the uh, young age of 33. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPaley.com, by St. Alwish's Church in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. If you're interested in hearing me flap my yap mouth, you can listen to me on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, videos on YouTube. God bless you, and as always, I'll see you on the other side.
recording? Uploading? You damn well right. Better make him the manager over the next series of years. Thirty-five years ago, I could have loaned your parents the money for an abortion. <laughs>